everybody. Welcome to Fully Puffed, a Gilmore Girls podcast. My name is Grace, and I'm here with my two co-hosts, Catherine. Hello. And Ebo. Hello. And we're here to talk about season one, episode 13. How do you say, how do you guys say this? Concert Interruptus. I thought it was Concertus Interruptus. <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. I think that's the joke. Yeah. All right, I'm already not doing well on this episode. <laughs> okay, so we're going to start, as we always do, with an episode summary, then segue into talking about production notes, and then just go into our conversation about the episode. So the town is having a charity rummage sale, which Lorelai is helping to organize, and her and Rory's house has become the place where everybody drops their clothes off. Lorelai finds a donated sweatshirt that she likes and starts wearing it, but Luke freaks out when he sees her in it, and she learns from Miss Patty and Suki that it probably belonged to Rachel, Luke's former long-term girlfriend who broke his heart. Meanwhile, Suki gets four tickets for a Bangles concert in New York City and invites Lorelai, Rory, and Lane to go with her, though Lane is not actually able to convince Mrs. Kim to let her go. Paris, Madeline, Louise, and Rory are put in the same group for a school project, and when they go to Rory's house to work on it, they start bonding a bit, or at least Louise, Madeline, and Rory are bonding. Lorelai suggests giving the four tickets to the girls so they can continue their bonding moment, and they accept. Suki and Lorelai are going to take them to the concert and scalp tickets when they get there. That night at the concert, the girls settle into their seats, and Suki and Lorelai find theirs in the nosebleed section. While the Bengals play, Lorelai asks Suki more about Rachel, and Suki accuses Lorelai of being jealous, which Lorelai denies. Louise and Madeline find a pair of cute guys sitting behind them and spend the entire concert flirting with them. They try to convince Paris and Rory to leave the concert and go to a party with them and the guys, but Paris and Rory refuse. Rory insists that they have to meet her mom after the concert, but Madeline and Louise aren't dissuaded, and they leave with the two guys. Paris reveals that Madeline and Louise do this all the time, and she seems to be really enjoying the concert. After the show ends, Lorelai and Suki meet up with Paris and Rory, and Lorelai is furious to learn that Louise and Madeline have left. They head off to the apartment to go looking for them, and when they find them, Lorelai storms into the party and breaks it up. Lorelai also reveals that the girls are 16 and drags them out of the party. She tells them that they shouldn't act like they have a clue when they don't and reveals that she's going to tell their parents about what happened. Paris, clearly delighted, tells Rory that she thinks this is the best night she's ever had. The next day at the rummage sale, Lorelai explains that while she's sorry she ruined the girls' bonding, she really had to do what she did and break up the party since Madeline and Louise were in real danger. Rory says she understands and reveals that Paris has offered to split the group's debate time with her, which for Paris is about as overt of a gesture of friendship as you can get. Lorelai then goes over to Luke, who apologizes to her for freaking out over the jacket. Lorelai says she understands, tells him she didn't realize the jacket belonged to Rachel, and gives it back to him. She says it obviously meant something to him, and when he tells her you have to let go of things eventually, she says it's okay to keep some things because there are some memories you don't want to forget. That's where the episode ends. <laughs> Before we get into director producer notes, do you guys want to talk about like, is this one of your favorite episodes? Is it one that you typically skip? So I normally skip it. 
I think just because of the total like secondhand embarrassment with the conflict at the concert. But in rewatching it, I was like, oh, this episode's actually really fun. <laughs> yeah, and I okay, so I have changed my mind, but I really did not don't don't like okay, I don't like the bangles. I don't know why I'm like embarrassed to admit this. I don't like the bangles. And so I like this episode, but I was always like, oh, this concert sucks. Like, I don't want to watch the bangles. I really liked it this time. I thought it was great. But I, I, I liked this episode because I really like the rummage sale and I like interesting fashion, <laughs> even bad fashion. <laughs> yeah, so I, I mean, this is not one of my favorite episodes just because I don't think there's like a ton going on here. But I will say that I like the bangles and I enjoy the concert part of it. I love talking about the fashion, which we will spend a considerable amount of time in this episode going over. And I also am obsessed with the fact that it's like kind of a relic of an older form of the TV show episode, which is especially prevalent in like late 80s and 90s television, where like a band would appear on a TV show episode or like the cast of the show would go and encounter like celebrities in real life who were like real people in our world. And that doesn't really happen on TV anymore at all. But I love that we get in this early season a sort of relic of an older version of TV. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of there's this Full House episode where they go to Disney World. Like the token family vacation episode slash let's drop our characters into a whole new setting in the real world episode. Just like gave me the exact same vibes of like late 90s, early 2000s. What I was thinking of when you mentioned Full House, Evo, was all those random episodes with the Beach Boys when the Beach Boys would show up. Oh. <laughs> like, there was one episode in particular where they go to a Beach Boys concert. So I get, like, apparently John Stamos worked with the Beach Boys, and so he was friends with them, and so that's why they were on the show. But I just remember they're, like, older, and all the kids would get so excited about the Beach Boys and I would just be like, that is so unrealistic. The Beach Boys are fine. I have no, like, no hate. But, like, if I'm a 12-year-old girl in 19, you know, 92, I don't care about the Beach Boys. And I kind of feel that way about the bangles in this episode. And please correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys like the bangles. But, like, I just thought none of these people should be this excited to go to a bangles concert. But I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I think it makes sense that Rory is excited to go to the Bangles concert just because she and Lorelai share a music taste. But even you can tell that Louise and Madeline are just excited to go to a concert in New York. Yeah, that's true. Can you guys think of other examples, though? Grace, you, you, you know, you even mentioned this on the podcast last week about this being like a pretty common thing that happened on 80s and 90s shows. And I was like, yeah, I know. But now I'm like, I don't know. I swear it happened in an episode of Beverly Hills 90210, the original one, or like several episodes where they would like go to concerts or like meet celebrities or like a musical act would like appear on the show playing themselves for some reason. That's like very early 2000s WB. Yeah, yeah. And it happens in a later episode of Gilmore Girls 2 where I think it makes like slightly more uh, plot sense. Not that it doesn't make sense here, but they have um, this, what, who was it, the Shins? Yeah. They play a spring break part, not party, like at a club on spring break. I feel like that was before the Shins really got big. I mean, they got really big after Garden State and 
Also, LOL. Imagine going to see the shins when you're on spring break in Miami. It would have been like ludicrous or something like that, realistically. Luda. Yeah. But just like being like probably trashed in Miami with your friends on spring break and going to listen to Simple Song. Like, (laughs) (laughs) it's definitely a different vibe than you were having up until that point. Do you have any director, writer, producer notes today or? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So this is directed by Bruce Seth Green, not Seth Green, the actor, but Bruce Seth Green, known director of WB shows. So I remember seeing him as a director of um, some Buffy and Angel episodes and just just noting it because his name is Seth Green and Seth Green was on Buffy. <laughs> But yeah, he he just kind of made the rounds, it seems like, on WB shows. He directed some episodes of Roswell, Charmed, and Dawson's Creek. So not like not too exciting. And then um, it was written by Elaine Arada, who I think we talked about this episode last week. And I love saying the title. And by love, I mean, I hate. Uh, it's like, it looks nice written, but saying it out loud is awful. She also wrote, P.S. I love. <laughs> Among a few other Gilmore Girls episodes, but most importantly and most horrifyingly, she wrote and produced Secret Life of the American Teenager. Arguably one of the worst shows of all time. (laughs) Yeah, strong agree. Uh, So going to the episode itself, we open, as we said in the in the summary with the rummage sale. Lorelai is trying to decide what clothes from her closet she wants to donate and Rory is helping her. And I have to mention, we see some really iconic bad Lorelai looks here. Which is your quote unquote favorite? Oh my God. The infamous red and black halter. Lorelai's also had it since she was 17. I get keeping like the relics of your, you know, teenagehood, but like this is too much. Absolutely throw it out. Agree. There's a line, and that's coming from somebody who has the exact same wardrobe as when they were in high school. There's a line. (laughs) Also, I need to talk about the bandana and rhinestone thing in this episode. We see Lorelai's first rhinestone bandana. Awful. Part of an awful outfit, which we will discuss. But she wears several different rhinestone bandanas throughout the episode. Like, she has a collection of them somewhere, and she's just, like, popping them out. Like, she must have one in every color. This one's pink, and later she has a green one. The green one is especially heinous. The green one is when I stopped and I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? Yeah, and then it's paired with... Well, okay, I will say one thing. So there's some hideous tie-dye in the closet, too. But then um, there was one cute shirt, I I thought. It was very, like, 1999, early 2000s. Like, a lavender three-quarter sleeve, and it's got butterflies up the arm. And I was like, okay, respect. But she has paired her rhinestone bandana with the most inexplicable nonsense of a shirt. And we're going to be commenting on what we think is the ugliest item of clothing in this entire episode. And I think my vote is here because it's like an American flag, but like not, it's like cut up kind of like a jigsaw puzzle American flag. rhinestones and it's like kind of distressed it's really bad horrifying and then she's paired that with the rhinestone bandana 
It's awful. It sets the tone for what will be an episode of like extraordinarily bad fashion, even for early Gilmore Girls. Yeah. As a defender of like some of Lorelai's quote unquote worst looks, because I think they're like fun and quirky and she pulls a lot of them off. I think the looks in this episode are by and large not successful. <laughs> Kathy, you mentioned that Rory kind of looks bad here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Rory looks terrible throughout the episode. I think they're going out of their way to make her look as drab and boring as possible to like contrast with Lorelai's craziness. I mean, she doesn't look awful. She just is very, very boring. You know, like red sweater, either jeans or cargo pants, but just nothing is happening (laughs) fashion-wise. Yeah, this one ain't it. So that's basically all that happens in this scene is just a cute intro. Though we do get a great line where when Rory is trying to tell Lorelai to figure out what she wants to donate, she says, take out anything you'd be embarrassed to be wearing during a car accident. (laughs) Which is honestly great advice. Or, like, somebody cleaning out their closet. Imagine being an EMT and, like, having to cut someone out of their car and they're wearing Lorelai's outfit. No. (laughs) So, our next one. Lorelai and Rory are still trying to figure out what to donate. They're in the living room, which has been overtaken by the town's crap. Just crap everywhere. And Lane is with them, too. I also do want to just like take a moment to say that my favorite part of this episode is looking in the background and seeing some of the weird ass items that are there because you know that the production team had such a great time going to Goodwill or like a garage sale or something and just taking everything that they could, like just parts, I'm sure, of junk. It was an absolute delight for me. Agreed. And I think they did a really good job combing Goodwill or whatever thrift stores they were at and finding things that the residents of Stars Hollow would own because they feel very on brand for Stars Hollow people. Yes, there's one. I don't know if we see it in this scene, but there is this like duck statue that was in the background of their living room. And it appears in multiple scenes, but in different locations. So at first, it's kind of like on the floor on top of a pile. And then later on, I think when Louise and Madeline and Paris are there, it's like on the stairs with its head peeking through the banister. <laughs> it was so good. So good. I love that. I love that somebody in props was like deliberately creating an Easter egg for us to follow throughout the episode. I mean, like that's something I would do if I was on props. So oh, that feels very relatable to me. I feel like we have a kindred spirit in the Gilmore Girls props department. Yes. There's also a painting of kittens in a toilet. Yes, another one. But this one's signed. (laughs) It reminds me of those, my doctor's office growing up had those. Yes. You know what I'm going to say? Yes, you don't even need to finish that statement. (laughs) Babies in pots. Thank you. So weird. So weird. They were all. Yes. And so they're there, Lane and Rory are going through everything. And Luke comes in with some stuff to donate, as does Taylor Dozy. Yeah, I feel like we get so little Taylor Dozy. He's criminally underused in season one. Yes. Oh, yes. I think you can tell that they're not quite sure what to do with him yet and how much of a player they want him to be. But this is a really good intro to who he becomes. He's there trying to, like, drop off a set of dishes, one of which has a nick, and he's giving Lorelai very precise instructions about how to stage it 
on the shelves at the rummage sale, which is your peak Taylor. <laughs> it really is. I feel like the actor playing Taylor Dozy nails it from like his first appearances. Like he has a very clear idea of who Taylor Dozy is. And I think that's why like the character works from the get-go, even though they're like still trying to figure out how to use him. Yeah, he puts on the oatmeal colored cardigan and he's like, I'm Taylor now. It reminds me of when he gives them, or when he brings his own comment cards to the dragonfly. <laughs> he means so well. So well. <laughs> then, so Luke, one of the things that we don't know at this point that Luke brings, but that Lorelai starts when she starts going through the piles of stuff, one of the things she finds is this sweatshirt before we started recording today, we had a debate about whether you're supposed to think this is a cute item. I, uh, I don't know. I mean, it looks very Lorelai. Yes. But. <laughs> this sweatshirt is objectively ugly. However, knowing what I know about early 2000s fashion, I am not surprised that it exists. Like, this looks like something that I would have seen at my local JCPenney between the years of 1999 and 2003. Yes. It has almost an early, like, pre-Ed Hardy, Ed Hardiness about it. Yes. That's what I was thinking, too. Is it camo? It's kind of, like, distressed, almost. Every time I look at it, it looks slightly different to me, which is an alarming quality in a piece of clothing. I think it is camo. So, you know, we got the patriotic t-shirt in the first in the cold open, and now we've got a nice camo rhinestone. <laughs> this is perhaps our first true 9-11 era Gilmore Girls episode. It's true, though. Like, that that influenced the, the sort of rabid patriotism after 9-11 influenced fashion, so... Also, something that's always bothered me is that later Luke talks about how Rachel like wears very simple things and likes very simple things and dressed like that when, spoiler alert, she makes her appearances. And like this is the tackiest, least simple item of clothing you could possibly imagine. Oh, yes. Sorry. I just Googled imaged. I, I, I think it's camo. I'm not confident, though. <laughs> it's muddled looking. It looks almost like bleach tie-dye. Ew. It has rhinestones on it, right? Sure does. (laughs) This is the rhinestones episode. That's very true to early 2000s fashion, unfortunately. Yeah, I myself owned quite a a few rhinestone (laughs) encrusted uh, tops. Unfortunately, I did as well. Two tops. And then Suki comes in and says that she got four tickets to the Bengals for this coming Friday and that she wants to take Lorelai, Rory, and Lane. And Lane's like, let's try, even though, by the way, Lane has, like, just escaped a grounding. Yeah, if I watched this episode, I'd never really thought of it in context with the last episode, but... In context, it is weird, first of all, that Lorelai is even entertaining that this would be a possibility, and then also weird when she acts, like, surprised and upset that Lane told her mom the truth, when just last week she was like, you have to be honest and respect other mother's rules. Yeah, it makes me angry, because, like, they did so much growth last episode, and it's just like, whatever. So, but yeah. Shall we move on to the next scene? Sure. We're at Chilton. 
They're holding a debate next week on the topic of did Charles I receive a fair trial? And all of us then were like, I don't know, did he? (laughs) I did not, I'm sure. All I know is, this is as far as my research went, was going to Wikipedia, finding one quote and calling it a day. But quote, Cromwell was said to have visited Charles's coffin, sighing cruel necessity as he did so. So, like, I guess he didn't. Like, that implies they framed him, right? <laughs> or not framed him, that his trial was it was a politically motivated conviction. Yeah, but a cruel necessity, nonetheless. <laughs> That's a funny debate question <laughs> to do. Also, like, what? Forgive my lack of knowledge about early British history, but what was he on trial for? Okay. I'm going to get this wrong because this is past the period that I used to study, but like Oliver Cromwell was trying to depose him to start the, what was it called? Like the, the parliamentary Republic that they had. And I think, didn't they try him for, Catherine, what did, what came up when you looked it up? Well, I don't know. (laughs) I found that Cromwell quote and I was like, I called it a day. I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, I'm on his Wikipedia page right now. It's a lengthy one. There's 17 sections. I don't think I'll be able to give you an answer. You think this is about where I got to? And then I was like, I don't, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, there's a reason why I didn't take AP Euro. Also, I do want to point out that there are more horrible Chilton kerchiefs in this scene because this episode just really wants to hammer the bandanas thing into our heads. They don't. I don't like mind them as much in the context of the Chilton uniforms. Oh, that's where I hate them the most. (laughs) I just, I think they're so ugly. And it's so weird to me that they like sell them at like, I don't know if it's a store or a catalog where you buy your Chilton uniforms, but then they would also, they sell these kerchiefs that are in the same ugly pattern as their skirts. I think it's more about like, I don't expect there to be good fashion at a private school where you have a uniform. So I think that's why I'm able to excuse them a little bit more. Another thing is that when the teacher calls Tristan out for staring at Rory, she does so in the weirdest way possible. She's like, is it as interesting as staring at Ms. Gilmore's ear? Which makes it sound like Tristan has an ear fetish. Very odd. It's all very odd. (laughs) He's like, what? Like, the reason this happens in the episode is because we're supposed to remember that Tristan likes Rory, which will play into the Paris stuff that happens in the episode itself. And then, so because this is a TV show, Rory, Paris, Madeline, and Louise end up in the same group for the debate, and they decide that they're going to get together to work on it, and because they can't go to any of the other girls' houses, they settle on Rory's. We need to talk about this. So the reason why they end up in Stars Hollow is because Paris's house is being remodeled because her mother wants to get rid of any trace of her father. And uh, I forget what the second one was, but either... Louise's mom is having an affair. Right. And then Madeline's brother has measles. That's a weird excuse. If only there was a mandatory vaccine for that. Yeah, this is like pre-anti-vax, like going mainstream. I think I tend to blame Jenny McCarthy for that. I don't remember when that was. I mean, it was in the 2000s, but... It's still weird for someone to say that their brother has the measles. I mean, is there any measles that weren't 
covered by that vaccine? I'm Googling measles 2001. (laughs) I've never known anyone, any child, at least with the measles. According to the CDC, from the period between 2001 to 2003, a total of 16 measles outbreaks were reported, 10 in 2001. Wow. So this may have been topical. Let me see where it was. I have a, I doubt it was in Connecticut. Yeah, there were 251 total cases between 2001 and 2004. That's not a lot. Yeah, this was a bad excuse. Somebody didn't do their So is it a lie? I think it's more like crappy writing, who like somebody who didn't fact check it. I agree, but I think it opens up interesting possibilities for Kilmore Girls that something sinister is actually going on at Madeline's house and that she's trying to cover it up. Oh. So I think we should keep that in mind for when we do our Kilmore Girls segment later. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) Um, Tristan then comes around to flirt with Paris, obviously just to mess with Rory. And I want to mention that I always felt like realistically, Tristan and Louise would have hooked up at least once. Oh, yeah. Maybe like on the down low, but like you can't tell me they wouldn't have hooked up. Oh, yeah, they they definitely did in like somebody's basement. 100%. And then the next scene, we have Lane and Rory walking through Stars Hollow, discussing the fact that tomorrow Paris, Madeline, and Lise are going to come to Rory's to work on the beat. And then we had already touched on this before, but Lane is going to ask Mrs. Kim if she can go to a play tomorrow night, aka the concert, which, as we said, this is a bold move. And Mrs. Kim, because she's smart, does not fall for it. (laughs) Lane is like trying to describe it. Mrs. Kim's like, what's the play about? She's like, it's about people who hold instruments in front of other people. (laughs) (laughs) Which I fully want to see, like, some sort of surrealist, like, Samuel Beckett type play that's literally just people, like, (laughs) silently miming playing instruments. I do love the line. Lane's like, oh, well, it's after church. And Mrs. Kim says, after church, we think about what we learned in church. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to point out, too, that I had to look this up, but I was like, wait a second, is this happening on a Sunday? No, Seventh-day Adventists go to church on Saturday. I did not know that. Hmm. We went to church on Saturdays when I was growing up as a Catholic. Oh, really? Yeah, we went to the 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock mass on Saturdays because we simply didn't want to go on Sunday mornings. This unlocked a memory for me. My Catholic church also used to offer a Saturday afternoon mass. And it was for people who like, quote unquote, were doing stuff on Sunday, but clearly in retrospect was for people who didn't want to wake up on Sunday morning. And now I'm like, that's obviously the superior mass. Yeah. Yeah. Four o'clock. We used to go to four o'clock or five o'clock mass. And then we would like go to this hotel a few towns over and my parents would like get drinks and I'd get a Diet Coke and we would sit in the hotel, like the hotel lounge. That's so cute. Yeah, it's very on brand for how I grew up. But, okay, so this answers a question that I had. Has Lane mentioned being Seventh-day Adventist yet? I don't think so. I think we don't know it until she goes to college. She says something in the episodes where she's, like, trying to decide where she's going to go to college about, like, a Seventh-day Adventist college. But I don't think it's implied there that she actually is Seventh-day Adventist. But then at some point, it's confirmed later that that she is. Well, 
because I actually wrote down and I forget where it's mentioned. Maybe it's this scene, but she mentions purgatory. And I was like, Lane's not Catholic. Why is she talking about purgatory? But maybe they were like setting her up to be Catholic because I didn't know that Catholics had mass on Saturdays as well. Does Seventh-day Adventists have purgatory? I feel like that's only in Catholicism. Okay, so they're definitely setting her up to be Seventh-day Adventist because there's a whole section of the Wikipedia article about health and diet. The church discourages its members from consuming alcoholic beverages, tobacco, or illegal drugs. In addition, some Adventists avoid coffee, tea, cola, and other beverages that contain... Okay, this actually makes a lot of sense. So I was... When in my Google of Seventh day Adventists, it was formed in Battle Creek, Michigan, which is where Kellogg's is based. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so Kellogg thought, had like very strict views about like cleaning the body and thought that breakfast cereal could do it. And down here, it says that the pioneers of the Adventist church had much to do with the common acceptance of breakfast cereals into the Western diet and the modern commercial concept of cereal food. John Harvey Kellogg was one of the early founders of Adventist health work. Do you know about the early marketing claims about cornflakes? This was in my APUS textbook in high school, so. It was mine too, and I, wasn't it about that it, like, prevented you from masturbating? Yep. <laughs> they loved teaching us this in high school. It, like, decreased sex drive, apparently, so you could focus on work. <laughs> But it's so linked to, like, this capitalist... It's so American. This is, like, so American. Yeah. Like, don't think about sex. Think about work, because that's where virtue lies. Not like the decadent Catholics who can either choose to go to Mass on Saturday or Sunday. Anyway, so at our next scene, Rory's at Luke's, and she's soon joined by Lorelai who is wearing the sweatshirt that she picked out from the rummage pile and also has paired it with a heinous cowboy hat. This is a leopard print, dark green slash gray cowboy hat, which takes the cake for me in terms of worst item of clothing in this episode. And so she comes in wearing this sweatshirt and Luke like flips his lid. He's like, where did you get that? Like totally freaks out. And she was like, I paid for it. He was like, well, you can't just go wear it. Like, oh, he freaks out. I really am bothered by this. I don't want to, like, get too into toxic masculinity in this episode because this is a pretty quick scene. And I understand that it's supposed to be, I don't know, it's supposed to, be, like, shed insight into Luke and the fact that he's still in love with Rachel or I don't know, that he's threatened by seeing an item of clothing that was, he clearly has a crush on Lorelai and now he sees his, ex-girlfriend's sweatshirt on her but I just think it's it it makes me uncomfortable actually he freaks out so excessively you know I just don't like to see that like angry masculine energy like exploding on the screen I agree with you I think that what they're trying to convey is like how shocking would it be if someone showed up in like your beloved ex's like clothing and it's also the person you like but I think this is an example of it could have been written in a different way or it could have been played in a different way, like acting wise to make it like, because this is, you're supposed to see that the anger is disproportionate, but it's so disproportionate that it comes off as like genuinely frightening. Yeah. It's a lot. Like it's a lot. It's so, it's just so jarring too. And like, what does he expect? 
it's a rummage sale, you know? He, he really never wanted to see it again. Like, burn it, dude. I don't know. Also, Luke is, like, often passive-aggressive in situations like this. And I feel like having him be like that would be maybe more realistic or more true to his character. Because often, like, he's confronted with something Lorelai does or, like, a guy comes in and flirts with Lorelai or whatever and he's, like, not cool with it and he gets, like, all snippy. I think that rather than maybe him being angry would feel truer to his character in the rest of the show to me. Or if he'd just been weird and, and like made an excuse to leave or wouldn't wait on them or something. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like he would just like, like kind of walked out or like said something sarcastic and left. And Lorelai was like, why is he acting like that? Yeah, I don't know. I just. It... For me, that's like the stressful moment of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're back at Rory and Lorelai's where the collection for the rummage sale is in full swing. Miss Patty shows up with stuff to donate, including a massive set of drums. Um, Lorelai's wearing another rhinestone studded bandana. I didn't like it. I did not like it. Something I wanted to mention is that Miss Patty, like the huge set of drums, like comically large that she brings in, she danced on them at the Copacabana in 1969 wearing ban- uh, bananas. I always want to say bandanas. Another, another, because it's a bandana-heavy episode. Another exciting uh, glimpse into Miss Patty's fun past life. (laughs) (laughs) What is happening with patriotism in this episode? Performance. I think we also need to mention that these are red, white, and blue drums. What is Gilmore Girls trying to subliminally? indoctrinate us into in a show that would later like have in two episodes like f bush and stop the war stuff everywhere (laughs) and also luke talk there's at one point in this in the series when we might have talked about it already but when luke makes a comment about it all being stolen land like come on And, like, the million other things he'll say about, like, that are anti-Thanksgiving and, like, anti-Indigenous slaughter and stuff like that. Yeah. I think it's just reflective of how ubiquitous camo and American flag, like, paraphernalia was at that time. It made a brief resurgence a couple years ago, and I think we all decided to collectively ignore it. Nope. (laughs) We all said, nope. I think I had a pair of pink camouflage cargo shorts. That is amazing. This is like a very limited two item. I think they were probably from Old Navy. Yes. <laughs> oh, we also do find out, though, that this is when we find out that for Miss Patty and Suki, who's in the background, like being eaten by all the junk that's there that the sweatshirt probably belonged to Rachel, who, as we've already said, was Luke's former long-term girlfriend who broke his heart. And they give, like, the dumbest excuse for why Lorelai did not notice Rachel. I know. You had an 11-year-old. You were busy. No. Because we know that they went to Luke's the entire time that Rory was growing up. Yes. And that Luke was, like, giving her birthday presents when she was a young kid and, like, throwing her birthday parties. And she, they were at the diner all the time. It is completely contradict everything that we know. If the excuse had been, like, you had a newborn or you had a three-year-old or something, I could maybe buy that. But a preteen, I mean, no, that's stupid. And then also, 
we haven't gotten to the point where they describe Suki describes Rachel as an Elle McPherson type, but first of all, she is, and she's very beautiful and just like like a stunning person. Very tall, looks like a model. I do not believe that Lorelai would not have noticed that woman like wandering around Stars Hollow. Even if she didn't associate her with Luke's, like she would have seen her at Dozies or something like that. And like, who is that? Yeah. Is it very small town? <laughs> this to me is like one of the top five examples of like Gilmore Girls continuity where they like realize they screwed up and they're like, oh God, like we just got to explain this away. I also wonder, oh no, if she was 11, then it would have been five years prior. So I'm thinking about Anna Nardini and when that relationship probably was. Oh God! Well, that's a whole other. <laughs> that's a whole other can of worms. I think that doesn't make sense chronologically either with some of the Rachel stuff. But that, I guess, yeah, that's a whole another can of worms. I'm gonna do some math out loud. So if April comes in season six, that was like 2006 or 2005, 2006. Yes. And she, how old is she when she comes to the diner? 13. I think she's like 12. Okay, let's call her 12. So. I'm doing some math. This is why we have a math person on the show. So if April is 12 in 2005, that means she was born in 1993, which means that Luke was dating Anna between 92 and 93. And so if this episode is in 2001 and Rory was five years older than she is now, then she w- he was dating Rachel in like the 95, 96 space. Okay. So this actually does act up. Yeah. Do they explicitly say that Rachel is a long-term girlfriend or a serious girlfriend? Because those are very important distinctions. That's a good point. They say serious girlfriend. And I think that it, it's implied that Anna Nardini and Luke didn't date for like a super long amount of time. They just remember her. Okay. Like the townspeople. So I think that it does make sense that like maybe he was more casually or like, you know, had a shorter relationship with Anna and then like had a big relationship with Rachel and she was in and out of his life a lot. They weren't together continuously for a long period of time. Okay. Yeah. And also if you don't date a lot, if you're a like, very monogamous person, like I could see getting very attached to even a not very long-term relationship, you know? Yeah. Okay. I feel comfortable saying that this math checks out. Yeah. Thank you, Ebo, because I am now eating my own words with, well, I still don't buy the fact that Lorelai would not have noticed. Oh, No. That's BS. I do buy the Gilmore Girls actually did set this up in a way that makes sense. Re Anna Nardini and the Rachel timeline. Yes. As your token woman in STEM, I can say that the math checks out. You know, I, okay. I am firmly in the, this is BS. Lorelai would have known camp, but Lorelai is kind of, um, self-centered. <laughs> Self-centered. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I it's I think it's possible. I think it is possible if Rachel really were like coming in and out for her job because it is mentioned that she travels a lot. Yeah. And for some reason, Miss Patty or Suki's like, yeah, and you were moving into this house at the time, which I guess 
always made no sense to me, but like maybe she just wasn't, you know, eating out a lot or she was like really preoccupied with unpacking. What doesn't make sense for me, it's like she's moving closer into town. So wouldn't that imply that she's engaging more in town stuff? But I could see maybe her, you know, getting a couple glimpses of Rachel and not noticing. Yeah. And if like, if this was like a six month period, but for Luke, who's like a hermit, this was like the love of his life. I could see that Lorelai missed out on that. But Lorelai missing out on town gossip is still the thing that really bothers me. That's really incongruous. Yes. And I, I, I don't think it was a six month relationship. I think maybe over a period of a couple years, like because six months, that just seems like Luke would have some issues if he was like hanging on to a six month relationship that long. So let's just say this is a continuity. Yeah. So Paris, Madeline, and Louise finally arrive. Grace, you pointed out that at this moment we learn that somewhere near or in Stars Hollow, there's a big rooster statue named Monty, who we never see. I'm a Monty truther. What is Monty? Why is Monty? I feel like we should have seen him in one of the later episodes. That's just me. (laughs) I'm confident that Monty exists. Again, as someone who grew up in New England, there's some weird roadside statues. We have to look for him in the background of other episodes now, because maybe he's there. Um, Okay. So, okay. When they come in, Lorelai comments that Louise, Madeline, and Paris are very good girl group names, which obviously... Paris wants to jump right into working, but Louise and Madeline want to go through the rummage sale stuff, which is 100% relatable. I would be so excited to see all that, even if it's ugly. Like, how fun, you know? And also, like, do you really want to get working on your, like, did Charles I receive a fair trial debate? We saw how much is on the Wikipedia page. Like, <laughs> I want to dig into that. Paris does. Yeah, I think Paris in addition to being Paris and being very driven, she also just does not want to be there. So she wants to get to work and get out of there. I love the line where um, Louise pulls out a shirt. It's like very patterned. And she says, is this a Poochie? And Rory says, no, it's a Patty. Because <laughs> it's one of Miss Patty's just so new costumes. Yeah, I don't I don't like Poochie. I think it's really ugly. And so it's just like, there's just, I think I said, I'm going to wear black for a week in protest of all the clashing in colors on this episode in Ebo. You agree? Solidarity, sister. <laughs> oh, but yeah, they like, they bond a little bit and they talk about Dean. Louise calls Dean Paul Bunyan, which is very cute. And wait, Ebo, you saw a tiny T-Rex on the table? Yes. So Paris and Rory are sitting next to each other and there's a table behind them and there's this tiny T-Rex statue that's just like on the edge of the table. (laughs) Again, I had so much fun looking in the background of this episode. I want to go back and look for the T-Rex. I know. So in the next scene, we're still with Paris, Madeline, and Louise at the house, but Lorelai is in the kitchen working on rummage sale stuff, and Suki comes in, and then Lorelai tries to get information about Rachel out of her. Suki gives her some more interview or some more info. Rachel was super adventurous, and she liked to move around a lot, and she couldn't settle down in Stars Hollow, so she left and broke Luke's heart. I would be really interested in Rachel, too. <laughs> For sure. Do you guys feel like Lorelai has a crush on Luke at this point? Or do you think that it's just she's starting to maybe see him as a viable romantic option. Yes. And I think we're meant to see that her 
realizing inwardly or trying not to realize that she's getting jealous over Rachel is making her realize that she may have a crush on him. Yeah. I think she hasn't realized that that's how she feels yet, if that makes sense. So, like, it's clear from everybody else, but she hasn't had the moment of realization yet. Yeah. And then also, yeah, I think there's also something to be said for, like, realizing that she and Rachel are kind of similar, like, that they have similar style and sort of imagining Luke with someone who is like her. It's the same thing with Anna when she comes in with the stewardess bag. That's weird, though. Like, they're, they're so alike that it's uncomfortable. Yeah. It's interesting because I always, always thought of when Rachel actually appears, I had always thought of her as very different from Lorelai. But I think you're right, Catherine, that like what this episode is doing in a lot of ways is even though Lorelai is wondering, like, am I Luke's type? She's prompted to do that by the fact that she realizes she likes something that once belonged to Luke's ex and that Luke's ex really liked. So it's clear that Luke is into women who are like her. Yeah, that they have a similar vibe. Like, remember when Liz comes to town? Oh. Who's the, the woman he marries? Nicole. <laughs> Nicole, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who is arguably the worst. Oh. Um, but Liz is looking for Nicole or something, or looking for Luke, and she thinks that Lorelai's Nicole in a series of misunderstandings. Anyway, but she was like, oh, you look like his type. And I always thought, like, outside of Nicole, he does have, clearly have a type, even though... Um, personality-wise, Rachel and Lorelai are very different. But they're both, like, strong, confident women with, like, a sense of self and independence, I think. Yeah, and adventurous, even if in, in different ways. So, while Paris and Madeline and Louise and Rory are working on the debate, Sugi walks through the living room. She's going home, and she reveals that they're all going to see the Bengals that night. And when Rory tells Louise and Madeline that, yes, she is going to a concert with her mom, start, like, talking about how fascinating they find Lorelai and how cool it is that she and Lorelai are so close. Um, one of them makes a comment about how it's more like having a big sister. And they get into a kind of weird conversation about having a kid at 16 and what that must have been like. One of them says, like, I wonder if she regrets it. And Paris says, of course she does. And Rory calls her out on it. Like, rightly so. It's a bad comment to make. So Paris, though, but you can... Another... I mean, this is such a strong Paris episode growth-wise, and you can see that Paris, like, feels ashamed when she's called out on it. Mm-hmm. It's a typical bitchy Paris thing to say, but I think she said it kind of accidentally, and she looks chastened when Rory calls her on it. Yeah. And then... Lorelai notices from the kitchen that the girls are bonding and she comes up with an idea that she tells Rory and then goes in and does, which is that she wants to give the four girls their concert tickets and she and Suki will drive them there and just scalp tickets on the way. I always wonder what would happen if they hadn't been able to find tickets to scalp. I know. Are people standing out there scalping Bengals tickets? Maybe. Yeah, maybe, I guess. I think it's a really great idea. I think it's something that could foster bonding. It's so, like, heart in the right place. Yes. I think if I were Rory, I would maybe be a little nervous about it, especially since I had been looking forward to, like, seeing the bangles in a stress-free environment with, like, my mom and Suki. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know something's going to go wrong. But I do empathize with the idea of, like, hey, these girls have made your life hell and they actually seem like they're coming around on you, which they do, Madeline and Louise. And being like, all right, let me try to resolve this. 
Yeah, like I said, very heart in the right place. And Lorelai brings out a platter full of Pop-Tarts when she does this. I thought that was great. It's like very more like Yomar charcuterie board. Just like a bunch of Pop-Tarts fanned out, arranged nicely on a platter with a single apple in the middle. No <laughs> notes. Absolutely no notes. I would have loved that as a noted Pop-Tarts fan. Okay, so... Grace, I like how you type this out in our scene breakdown. New York City! Exclamation point. The Bengals! Concert! Exclamation point. Because that's fully how it feels. It's like, bam! Shot of New York City. We've moved, people. We are not in Star Solo anymore. Nighttime shot of the New York skyline. We're in the big city. (laughs) (laughs) The Big Apple. Gilmore Girls does not do this sort of stuff often, so, like, they have no idea how to do it. And every time they try to do it, it's so unsuccessful. Because, <laughs> like, the Gilmore Girls only exist in Stars Hollow. It almost feels like they're going to disappear or something when they encounter, like, other worlds. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. So I have kind of an answer. Ebo, you asked how did they get the Bengals to be on the show? Yes. I read that the Bengals, so the Bengals are obviously, like, an 80s girl group. They broke up. They got back together in 2000. And then they released, oh, I forget, damn it. They, they either released another album or they went on a tour in 2003. So right here, right at this moment, they were trying to promote their reunion. So they were going to appeal to an audience of, I guess, moms who watched Gilmore Girls with their daughters. So I guess that kind of hadn't happened yet. So Maybe they were trying to get a new generation interested in the Bengals, just like Full House was trying to get a new generation interested in the Beach Boys. It's always so jarring when they like drop them into these places too. Yes. And then it also kind of explains like, I think one reason that I've historically not been a fan of the Bengals is that I'm not a fan of 80s pop music in general. Like I don't like Cyndi Lauper, even 80s Madonna, I'm not a fan of. And so the Bengals were kind of like, I don't, I just don't like the look, Mm -hmm. the clothes, the hair, all of that. And that's why I've kind of blown this episode off. But I feel like they were kind of rebranding for the 2000s. Like their vibe was more rock chick, kind of Lilith Fair in this episode. And so I think in in addition to trying to promote their reunion, they were also maybe rebranding a little bit to appeal to moms and daughters. (laughs) Yeah, they're dressed very, like, Lilith Fair-y. Yeah, which they did play at Lilith Fair, by the way. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I like their music that they do. I like their music in general, but I think that they give, like, surprisingly, a surprisingly good performance in this episode. They're good. I listen to Manic Monday every Monday, and no, that's not a lie. <laughs> do you really? <laughs> yes. I think I knew that about you, actually. <laughs> When I open up my work computer, that is the first song I put on when I'm, like, going to start diving through my inbox. (laughs) I love it. You should have been in the Bengals episode. You are a much more natural Bengals concert attendee than something I want to talk about, which, like, so they go to their seats, and we'll talk about how Lorelai and Suki's seats are, like, super nosebleedy, but the seats that Madeline, Louise, Harris, and Rory have are right in front of two college-aged normal looking cute for the era guys why are these men at a Bengals concert to pick up high school girl there's easier to do that not to be scuzzy but like what and they have great seats yeah that's weird 
Yeah, so they spend a lot of money on them. Like, do you think one of them is, like, a really big Bengals fan secretly and he, like, brought his bro with him? <laughs> I have no explanation for this. This is a good point. If they spent that much money on tickets, why are they leaving early? Right? And spending the whole concert talking to girls. I mean, are they college students or did I just make that up in my mind? No. When, spoiler, Lorelai <laughs> goes knocking on the apartment doors in their building. She refers to them as college-age boys. Okay, yeah. The feeling I get is sort of like, I think it was, I think, Grace, you said, like, the reason Madeline Louise are excited. Maybe it's just that attitude of, like, it's a concert. I'll go because I'm at NYU and I want to be a part of the nightlife. But I'm going to spend several hundred dollars on tickets. Maybe one of them had a professor who, like, is an old, like, a you know, mom-age woman who, like, had these tickets and then, like, couldn't go and was like, does anyone want them? And they were like, sure, kind of not realizing, like, what this was and took them. I mean, there's no plausible explanation. This is also, Grace, you and I have taught English classes, but I don't believe we've ever taught a creative writing. I haven't. Have you? Mm -mm. Okay, so we're not exactly like the best people to speak on this topic, but here's some advice, writers who are listening. If your plot point requires that degree of like narrative for somebody else to make up, it's a bad plot point. <laughs> Change it. We shouldn't have to be wondering if these guys got tickets from an old college professor. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, if you are a writer who wants to give people fun things to talk about on a podcast 20 years after your show came out, you absolutely write those sort of holes. <laughs> but I guess paradoxically, you have to also write a show that's good enough for people to be talking about it 20 years later. So don't make of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it makes it makes no sense. Did you guys notice the girl with the pink hair and the green, like, Muppet coat? Do you know what I mean by Muppet coat? Like, Yes. The, like, it's not quite, it's, like, furry almost, but it's obviously, like, rayon. Yeah. Looks like she skinned a Muppet. Yeah. That's what it yeah. looks like. I'm very into that, though. And her boyfriend, or the guy she's with, is, like, dressed totally normal. <laughs> but that makes a weird amount of sense to me, so... <laughs> This concert has attracted a very odd attendee list. Yeah. I'm curious, like, would you guys have been watching the concert or flirting? <laughs> watching the concert. You know which one I would have been. Obviously, I would have been flirting with the guys. <laughs> it depends on how badly I wanted to see the concert, truthfully. If there were cute people and I was at a concert, like, I got invited to in, like, a Paris Madeline Louise situation... I would have been flirting. If it had been a concert I wanted to go to, I wouldn't watch in the concert. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's like the reason the guys are at the concert and the reason Madeline Louise are there is as a social event. Now, why these guys have so much money to spend on a social event like this, I don't know. But yeah, I don't know which one I would have been. Probably a mix of the two. <laughs> Lorelai does take this as an opportunity to ask Suki if Rachel was pretty. And what kind of pretty she was, which is where we get Suki telling her that she was an Elle McPherson kind of pretty. And wait, what are her other ones? Oh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones and... Um, Michelle Pfeiffer? Michelle Pfeiffer, yes. Which are all intense kinds of pretty. 
a different. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's an interesting observation. And this is where Suki calls her on being jealous of Rachel. And Lorelai is so insistent that she isn't. But of course she is. Oh, she says something about how she could never picture Luke with an Elle McPherson kind of pretty. And Suki makes a quip about how you probably picture him with a Lorelai Gilmore kind of pretty. I love that line. Good friendship moment. <laughs> friendship moment. Weird place for them to be having this conversation, though. Yeah, it is for a concert that Lorelai's been dying to see. <laughs> but do you think, am I crazy? I feel like Lorelai's an Elle McPherson type of pretty, like tall, like st- strong bone structure, big, like lioness kind of hair. Or am I? I no, I, I can see it now that you say it, but I don't think that would be my first reaction. Though I don't know what kind of pretty I would say Lorelai is. Yeah. I think she looks a lot like Anna Nardini. I think they look a lot alike. So I would say maybe yeah. that kind of pretty. Oh, Elizabeth Taylor. That's who they compare Lorelai to a lot. She does look like Elizabeth Taylor. That's a good point. Yeah, that's one of my favorite episodes, the dance marathon, where her dance partner bails because his wife is afraid she looks too much like Elizabeth Taylor. <laughs> and then... Oh, right. We So we shift to Paris and Madeline, Louise, and Rory. And Paris is having a really nice time just observing the concert and really enjoying herself. And it's a nice touching friendship moment between her and Rory, which is broken by the fact that then Madeline and Louise say that they are going to ditch the concert and go to a party with these guys. Oh, my God. Yes, it was in this moment where I was like, oh, yes, this is why I always skip this episode. Ugh, I would not have done this. Absolutely not. I don't know. I did some pretty dumb stuff. In, would you go in New York City, though? No. I, I don't know. I don't think so. Maybe. <laughs> I think we can all relate, too, to the kind of panic where, like, your parents took you to something and, like, you're kind of, like, responsible for your friends your friends are going to go do something stupid and you're like, oh God, no. Yeah. I'm going to get in trouble for this. Yeah. Absolutely relate to that. That happened to me a lot in high school. So these guys are like probably like 21, 22, 20, 21, 22, maybe 19. And they just go off with them. Fortunately though, Madeline tells Rory where the actual party is. So they're able to find the apartment building. If they hadn't, like, would they have ever found them? How would they have gotten back home? They don't have phones. We're in the pre-cell phone days. Although, would Madeline and Louise have cell phones? They might. Maybe they would have had, like, pagers. But yeah, to be carrying around a cell phone, 2001, no. It is when Paris says that Madeline and Louise do this kind of stuff all the time. And I know we've talked on the show before about, like, why Paris and Madeline and Louise are friends. I think this is more support for the theory that they've just kind of, like, been friends for a long time and they really don't have much in common now yeah yeah and paris can't confide in them and that she and rory really have much more of a similar sensibility Mm -hmm. it's like friends by proximity so after the concert they're outside the venue which is their point where they were supposed to be meeting up with lorelei and they start talking about tristan and rory's like what do you see in tristan and Paris divulges that he kissed her once on a dare, but at least he kissed her, which is like one of the most heartbreaking, like most heartbreaking lines I think of the entire episode. Uh, 
And when she's like, I know he's only flirting with me to get to you, but at least he's flirting with me. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's so sad. But you know what? This also gives context to like what we were just talking about, about Paris and Madeline and Louise. So if they they've been going to school together since elementary school and were at the same party or I don't know, maybe it could have happened at school. I was thinking at a party he would have kissed her on a on a dare. But like they have these bonds that have already been established that we just haven't seen yet. Oh, and I like how I like how she says Tristan isn't always a jerk. And I just want to take this opportunity to tell any younger listeners, any listeners, period. If you if you have to add the caveat that someone is not always a jerk, spoiler alert, they're a jerk. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe there's some instances where that is not true, but it's been my experience that if you, particularly as a young woman, if you like a guy who is seems like a jerk and you have to tell people no he's really he's really nice he he has family issues he has emotional issues he's a jerk yeah and then so Lorelai then arrives with t-shirts for all the girls and when Rory tells them that Madeline and Louise have left Lorelai is really pissed which I think is super understandable mm-hmm. it stressed me out having babysat and stuff and like having students you know who i'm supposed to take care like the idea of losing two young women in new york city was like ah (laughs) they've spent the whole episode like madame louise talking about how cool lorelei is and the hammer is about to come down and i think that's like a rebuttal to everybody who says like lorelei is not really a parent or she's immature or she's like too much of a friend like in these moments where it really counts she rises i think very well to the occasion Mm mm-hmm where she's able to, yeah. she knows like exactly what these dangers are and she's able to really parent effectively in a way that these other girls' parents, even though they're like appropriately aged, are absolutely dropping the ball on. That's a really good point. Yeah. And also that Lorelai doesn't just like freak out and call the police. She just takes charge <laughs> immediately. Yeah. So yeah, so Lorelai takes charge by tearing through the apartment building where the party is looking for Madeline and Louise. And you know, I just want to say, like, I really do appreciate that they had Madeline give Rory the address because I feel like on a lesser show, they would have just magically found them at the first apartment that they went to. Even in an episode with a lot of holes, we do get some basic actual stuff that makes sense. Yes. And I think it makes sense too that Madeline, well, first of all, Madeline wants, they were trying to get Paris and Rory to go with them. So it makes sense that they'd be like, well, if you change your mind, you know, this is where we're going to be. But then also, I just feel maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I feel like in my in Madeline and Louise's like deluded brains, they think somehow that Lorelai would understand or like she would be cool with it. You know, Oh yeah, that's clearly what you're supposed to think. That they're like, oh, it's cool and young and fun and like she'll be fine with this. Yeah, she gets it. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it is not that is not the case. So they're, you know, banging on all the doors. Shout out to <laughs> this lady <laughs> opens the door and the, and Lorelai like asks her, have you seen, you know, or what, what does she ask her? Two college age boys who live there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the woman just goes, I don't talk to anybody. People annoy me and slams the door. Mood. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and then it's super sad. Paris wonders if her mom would come looking for her if she went missing. And Rory insists she would. And Paris says, yeah, or she'd at least send somebody. Which 
Like, I made a joke that's like, oh, the poor little rich girl. But it is sad. And I fully believe that her mom would not go looking for her. Her mom would absolutely not go looking for her. Yeah. She would be getting her whole back reconstructed or whatever she's doing <laughs> on a regular basis. Redecorating the house. Um, getting her, yeah. They, it's whatever that weird French plastic surgery she gets later, I think in like season three. So they find the party. Lorelai bursts in. Louise tries to play it cool too. And Lorelai shuts her down, tells the boys that Madeline and Louise are 16, calls them out on probably giving them alcohol and makes them leave. And when she pulls them out, she says she's not going to lecture them about how insane what they just did was or how dangerous it was to act like you have a clue and you don't. But that if they ever pull a stunt like this again, it won't be around Rory. And I think while Madeline and Louise think that Lorelai is going to be cool with this because she's like young and cool and fun and like obviously had a young, cool, fun life. I think that Lorelai's experience as having like a reckless teenagerhood makes her more able to respond to the situation than someone who didn't. Mm -hmm. And like all of those qualities make her very acutely aware of what the dangers of this are. Because mm -hmm. there's like a very dark, unsaid current going through this. Yeah. Like something really bad could have happened to them. Yeah, for sure. And it's so perfect though, because it's not... I just remember being really mad when I was a teenager because I just thought like, I get it. I understand the world. <laughs> I know what dangers are and you just don't. Yeah. It's not a good idea to go with strangers to a house party and then drink alcohol out of cups that are handed to you by random dudes. Don't do it. Yeah. This is a PSA. Don't do it. And then so she says she's going to tell their parents and apparently she does. I love when Paris says, I think this is the best night of my life. I love it. This is such a good Paris episode. I've always thought, and I know this is maybe kind of stupid, but I've always thought that Lorelai could have maybe like helped Rory out by not telling the parents. No, this was, I think this was bad enough that they needed to know. To segue into the next scene, like she does apologize to Rory for this because she's like, listen, I know that like this probably put the kibosh on any actual bonding you were doing. And like maybe it did with Madeline and Louise, but happily, Paris actually saw things work out in her favor for once and has decided to split time on the debate with Rory, which means that like she's really happy with her. Yeah. So it worked out pretty well in general. Okay, so we're on the last scene and we end with. Lorelai catching sight of Luke they're at like the rummage sale actually happening I want to mention too that this rummage sale is for the same bridge that they're still raising money for in season seven <laughs> and she goes over to him and as we said in the summary he apologizes and she says you know I think it's okay to hold on to things and hands him back the sweatshirt this is like the shortest episode of Gilmore Girls I think in the entire show yeah it's like 37 minutes I don't know. Does it feel satisfying for you guys? It's like the equivalent of a tight 90 movie. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, there's nothing that I'm like, oh, they should have expanded on this. I don't know. I think that one of the reasons that I've not liked it in the past is it did feel like an extended advertisement for the Bengals. It still feels like an extended advertisement for the Bengals. Yeah, but it's cute. And I do like all the bonding moments. And it does you know the paris rory friendship is getting inched forward just a little bit 
to me, that's the best thing about the episode, like the Paris Rory stuff and the fact that we at least get some Luke backstory. Yeah. I think last episode could also be accused of being a filler episode because to me, this is a filler episode. But last episode, even though the stakes are pretty low, is just so much more tightly written and has so many more interesting characters and feels like it's just so much better than this, which this to me is just like, eh. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to see Todd at the Bengals concert. I would have liked to see Rune at the Bengals concert. Are you kidding? <laughs> That's what this episode needs is a Rune cameo. Oh my God. Did you guys see my historical retellings of Rune in Ireland, early 20th century Ireland that I put on Instagram? No, <laughs> I didn't see them. Good content. No notes. <laughs> They're in the fully puffed highlights. Um, on my Instagram. I add them to our story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I went a little crazy and like took screenshots of like, <laughs> who was it? Charles Stewart Parnell, like giving a speech. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you just, you can check them out. Yeah. That's iconic. <laughs> check them out, listeners. So do we want to rate the episode? What do you guys think? Uh, uh, I, I Solid seven solid six to seven not because it's bad but because it's inconsequential i was gonna say 6.5 for the exact same reasons oh man i'm i'm giving it a five i love it i like it i like it a lot but it's just like it's fine yeah yeah it's it's actually i would say it's an enjoyable episode and it's not a bad episode it's just as Evo said inconsequential yeah it's a fun 38 minutes of television. The fashion is great to point out in that it's terrible. It's great to make fun of, which is always a delight. But yeah, I just, I feel so neutral about it. I don't even think I can go up to a six. It just, I don't hate it, but. It's fine. It's fine. Segments, fashion, we've covered pretty extensively. There's nothing left to unpack there. Yeah, I am curious, though, um, maybe we can do a poll on Instagram or something or ask people to to weigh in in the comments. Like, do you think that the Rachel sweatshirt is supposed to be cute? <laughs> Listeners, let us know. <laughs> I'll put a poll on Instagram. Comple- I'm completely blanking. Did we, did we already say what we think our worst fashion item of the episode is? Hat. I think it's a sweatshirt. I hate the hat, but the sweatshirt is offensive to me. Yeah, I, I, I'm I very torn between the sweatshirt and the t-shirt. Just for the sake of each of us having a different item, I think I will go with the t-shirt, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walmart girls, for me, my vote is obviously Madeline and Louise getting, like, killed in this. I think that could, that's our obvious dark turn, but I want to bring up from the earlier part of our pod episode the fact that like something nefarious is clearly going on at Madeline's house. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Someone unleashed the measles in the house. What if Louise's mom is having an affair with Madeline's dad? Madeline's dad, the guy who loves all the French stuff that we'll see in a later episode. And so she doesn't want to admit it, or maybe Louise doesn't know. And so thus the measles excuse. And that's not really Killmore Girls, but we can just say that they're also, they're having an affair and it's linked to other nefarious activities. I like it. Any last thoughts on this episode? Oh, there were some cute pop culture references that just got like 
we just breezed right past them. Rory makes a reference to Tribbles, which is a Star Trek reference. There's a fun moment where Rory quotes Macbeth, albeit not well, but I mean, she's quoting a line from Macbeth, not Macbeth, the character. And then there's a reference to Carrie and like Rory getting pig's blood thrown on her at school. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all. It has its own Wikipedia page. So if you're interested, go check that out. I don't think it's very good. I don't know why this one has its own Wikipedia page with analysis included that I didn't really like. So, but you can look that up on Wikipedia if you're interested. It's fine. I think this the the way I would summarize this, as Ibo said. In housekeeping notes, we're about to hit 1,500 downloads. Yay! Woo! had a ton these past couple weeks and a lot of them from in Europe and in South America. So I'm pumped that we're getting super international. So thank you to those of you who are listening and tuning in and especially those of you who are listening for the first time because it's really exciting. Thank you. Yay. Yay. All right. Thanks for ringing the bell with us, guys. That makes me laugh every time. (laughs) 